0: Baby Boomers. I used to be with it. Millennials. Okay, Boomer. Generation X.
1: What's going on?
0: And Gen Z. (laughs) What do they have in common? Not a lot, it turns out. But one thing they can agree on is that this is the political podcast they want to listen to. Welcome to Not My Generation, the political podcast that looks at political events, news, and happenings across the world and at home through a generational lens. Your hosts are Dr. Emily Stacy and Professor James Davenport, two political scientists from Rose State College. But the views expressed on this program are solely the views of the host and their guests and do not reflect the views of Rose State College, its administration, faculty, or students. Coming up on today's program, the old geezers in Congress. If you're under the age of 35,
1: Dr. Stacy's about to come down on you hard. The burden of a democracy is on you, right? If you want an easy government, go live in Russia. And now, here are James and Emily.
0: Welcome to Not My Generation, the political podcast that looks at news events, things around the world, from a generational lens, I am James Davenport, Professor of Political Science and Associate Dean of Social Sciences at Rose State College. Along with me is my wonderful, fantastic colleague, Dr. Emily Stacy, also a Professor of Political Science at Rose State College. How are you doing this morning? Fantastic. Very excited about this
1: cool new space, man. You did, Isn't this awesome? You did a good job.
0: I'm yeah, impressed. We, uh, we found a nice place here uh, at Possibilities, Inc. to now host our podcast, and we are
1: super excited about that. Yeah, this is very cool. We'll, so we'll start doing more regular episodes for you folks again. Yes, and yes. I know we had some regular listeners, viewers. I guess you were watching <laughs> us on YouTube. Sorry, you don't get to see us anymore. Maybe we'll bring in one of the the uh, younger Davenport's to take photos for us. Oh, next we could do time. that sometime. Yeah, document this a little bit. But
0: absolutely, we'll
1: be more regular now. So get used to us. That's right. That's right. We are back. Yes. With a vengeance or something like that. Yeah, very much so. And we're excited because obviously it's campaign season. It's been campaign season, I guess, really since 2020. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, it's definitely been campaign season at the presidential level. We're about to get into real campaign season for these other offices as well. Uh, And come January, it's just going to be insane. So, yeah I'm already tired. How are you feeling? i'm I'm energized. i'm I'm good to go. No voter fatigue. Yes <laughs> no. Well, we had, you know, we had our Constitution extravaganza. Yes. That just wiped me out yes. by by the end of that week. But uh, I think I'm a little rejuvenated. I'm excited about our topic today. We're going to be talking about the old geezers in Congress uh, and what we can or should do about it, if there's anything we can or should do about it. So uh, that is that is a topic. If you haven't been paying attention, you have missed out on some really interesting things. We've had the, the minority leader in the Senate freeze up and... And uh, three or four uh, press conferences oh, now. Public. Just kind of just staff having to walk him off the stage. Yeah. Uh, Diane Feinstein has been playing weekend at Bernie's, very right? The uh, last year or so. Uh, President Biden has seemed to have had some some difficulties, uh, and. Before anybody goes, that's why we need to vote for Trump. Trump is only a few years younger than yeah. Biden. Right? Just turned both 70, over-
1: 77, he yeah. just turned this year. So Biden 80, Trump only 77. So, so the argument is a little moot at this point. At this point, we're talking
0: about old folks, yeah. right? And and why? Why is that the case? Why are these people who... Uh, in any other profession would be looking at retirement, would be enjoying their time with grandkids or traveling or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and instead they are holding on to power with the tips of their finger, right? They're clawing yes. onto that power. It's
1: really incredible to to see. And we've, I mean, this is not anything new, unfortunately, right? We have watched uh, several congressmen literally die in, in the Absolutely. Congress, right? Yeah. Uh, so Strom Thurmond, uh, age 100, died while still being wheeled around in the Senate Mm in 2003. Mm Bird, again in 2010, 92 years old. Ted Kennedy, uh, again, right? Uh, It just is, it's something in American politics that we really need to discuss. And I think a lot of it, uh, we can lament and shake our fist at the sky uh, about voter turnout and the youth, which I'm about to very, very soon. If you're under the age of 35, Dr. Stacey's about to come down on you hard. Uh, just a warning. Your children... I need you to, I need you to vote. We just, we're going to have a conversation today. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been really difficult, I think, to watch. And to remind our listeners, you are of the Gen X, right? I am, that's uh, right. And I am our resident elder millennial. I don't like the the term that is going around social media where uh, the children are re- referring to us as geriatric millennials. Oh my goodness. Uh, she's not a fan yes. of that. That's awful. It's offensive. I'm a,
0: <laughs> I am offended, sir. Well, that's okay, you know. Gen Xers, the older of Gen Xers, I'm kind of right on the middle, the upper middle, uh, but the older Gen Xers often get called boomers. And, you know, we uh, we have a little reaction to that as well. Yeah, so.
1: well, you maybe don't um, sound like them so much. Hey now, um, often. Hey now. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's really interesting. We'll get into the numbers. Um, I want to note, however, right, because you are of the Gen X uh, persuasion, um, you guys have failed so far to put up a viable presidential candidate a what successful is with that what you know candidate. what that is it's very interesting. we're
0: like we've like abandoned politics for is that the most what part. it is I think Just Gen, X, Gen X is like look you uh, number one everybody ignores us everybody's talking about the fight between the millennials and the boomers, right? Yeah. Uh, and we're just kind of, we're the smallest of those generations. Right. Yes. We are, we're packed in between yeah. two much very larger. Mm-hmm. And, and our attitude has always been, I mean, and we've done, there's lots of research on this, on, on the differences between generations. We've all always been a little bit more independently minded yeah. than the other ones. We've also been kind of the, we're, we're, we're derided or sometimes celebrated depending on who you're talking to sure. as the, I don't care generation, Right. right it it doesn't matter we're just going to get do our thing and whatever happens happens and i think some of that is reflected in that some of that is there's not the numbers of us to compete with these other two generations as Man, well i don't know so
1: the congress is full of you
0: it, well there's a little bit of us right i mean it depends there're not a lot of us gen xers compared to boomers uh, especially but uh, nice. but let's talk about let's talk about Congress for a second. Sure. So, uh, we talked about this just a little bit yesterday uh, in our town hall. But uh, the median age of the U.S. of everybody in the country is thirty-eight point one years. Yeah. Right. The median age of the House is fifty-seven point nine. So almost twenty years older. Right. The median age of the Senate is 65.3, right? So you're talking about people who are up there, right? If you look at just the House, Mm -hmm. 43% of the members of the House Mm -hmm. are 60 or older, Wow. okay? Uh, 72 of those members are over 70. Uh, If you look at the Senate, a fully 67% are over the age of 60. My goodness. Right, right. At 30, you got... In fact, you've got more members that are 70 or older than you have that are 60 or older. Wow! Uh, And so this is, this is where we're at. And these are the folks driving this train and they've been driving it for quite a while. Yes. I mean, literally. And so when you look at these things like uh, the budget deficit, when you look at things like uh, climate change issues, when you look at things like uh, economic issues, these types of things, and you're wondering Why is not much changing? Well, the same people have been running the show for quite a while. 40, 50 plus years. Right. And so uh, what's the incentive for them to change? Absolutely. And and we keep voting them back in. Oh, to the tune of 90 something, some odd percent in both both entities. Now, if you look at the freshmen who are elected like to the House, or let's look at those folks for a second, their ages are lower, right? So the median Republican freshmen had an age of 47.2. Uh, the median Democrat was actually slightly higher at 44.1. I'm, I'm just a little surprised by that. Right. Uh, the youngest uh, Republican was 33. Okay. The youngest Democrat, 26. I think that was Marshall Representative Frost, Frost yeah. right? Uh, um, the median incumbent of the Republicans in the House is 59. So yeah. considerably older, right? Yeah. Median incumbent of the Democrats, 61. Uh, Thanks, Pelosi. <laughs> well, and speaking of, mm-hmm. the oldest Republican in the House is 85. Oh my goodness. The oldest Democrat is 86. Ma! So uh this That's is great. where we're at. This is who's running the show. Uh and well, there if you look at the break between um Boomers and the silent generation and uh, Gen X and millennials and below, they're almost even in the house as far as numbers.
1: Right. Uh, but but the people with power yeah. are in those older Incredibly, generations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Incredibly older, especially I mean, obviously you and I are professors. And so our our students are I mean, most Often going to be from that Gen Z uh, generation. Of course, we're at a community sure. college, so right. we have a, a diverse population. So we get returning students, military, etc. But a, a vast but the majority of freshmen, yeah. are by and large. And then we right. also have a, a very large population of concurrent students, so right. younger That's than right. the age of eighteen. So we can't got, even vote. Yes, exactly. And, and, and I
0: had a question. I was talking, you know, when we talked about first uh, week or two of the semester. Mm-hmm covering, like, the Declaration of Independence right. and, and things like that, uh, and talking about the American Revolution, we talked about, you know, one of the big sayings at the time was no taxation without representation, right? right? Yes. And then I asked all of these 16- and 17-year-olds how many of them had jobs, uh-huh. uh, part-time jobs, and how many of them paid taxes, or had taxes taken out, yeah. and then how many of them could vote. Right. And I'm like, where's that no taxation without representation oh for you guys? Exactly. Right? Now, If you talk to older. Gen X, Jack Davenport. He's like, I'm not sure I want 16 and 17 year olds voting. But if we're going to say, and we're going to hold that
1: up as the standard, those folks have an argument, I think. They do. Absolutely. I I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, when we talk about, you know, social security that they're paying into all of the programs that they're paying into uh, and whether or not they are going to exist when they get there. And this is the thing I think a lot of these younger folks don't understand about social security is
0: they hit not the paying, They're not paying into some savings account or right. investment account that's going to be there for them, right? Yeah. They're paying their taxes for current benefits for current retirees, yeah. right? And the promise of the government is we'll do that for you when you come along, right? right. But guess what? We've got a shrinking workforce yep. and a growing, aging population. Right something's got to change. Multiple recessions and, oh, a pandemic. Um, And and so where's all that money? And and we've known for a long time, I remember working for a member of Congress in the late 1990s, early 2000s, Social Security was already saying, look, by 2035, we're not going to be taking in enough in taxes Mm -hmm. to pay the obligated benefits, right? Nobody's fixed that. And it's just getting worse. And so... And, and my point is you have a lot of younger people who don't have a lot of income, don't have a lot of resources, and they're paying into Social Security to fund, by and large, wealthier retired folks who are sipping Mai Tais on the beach. All right. right. I know that's not everybody. Right. I'm not. T- but you get my point, well, yes, right? That's right. There's a significant portion of them. And if you look at wealth accumulation by age, it is heavily skewed towards older and that's that's a life progression thing that's not a you know there's not some conspiracy no. to make that happen but but the fact is the older you are you tend to be more wealthy right? And so, so yes. we have a program that is based on taking money from largely poor populations yeah. and funding largely more wealthy populations yes hey if you don't like that vote that, right. Yes. Right. Now we can get back to
1: vote. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so your figures are terrifying. The 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 average ages of of Congress absolutely terrifying. And when we talk about the population, just generally speaking, uh, Brookings pulled some data together uh, from the Census Bureau. Uh, so millennials in plurals they're they're calling the uh, Gen uh, I'm sorry Gen Z uh, folks plural the plural generation. Uh, is so, that sort of for like pluralistic? Is it yeah, like they're just more diverse? Just more diverse, okay. Okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, so they'll actually, we will actually be a majority of potential voters by 2028 uh, and over 60% of the electorate by 2036. Yeah. So this is a, I mean, a problem, right? We're talking, we're railing, right? I, I hit the James Davenport uh, social security button. Sorry about it, listeners. Uh, so we're railing about these things and talking about them in, in a real way. And a majority of the population now almost, uh, the, the voting population, I should say, uh, may not see those policies come to fruition, right? I am a millennial and I don't have any. I'm not holding my breath at all. Thank you, Rose State College, for funding my <laughs> retirement, honestly, uh, because I'm not holding my breath on Social Security it whatsoever. Is, it is... Uh... It's
0: problematic, and and it's not like there haven't been proposals out there for that. And that's just one issue, right? There are other issues that are out there. You find younger generations are more concerned about climate change. Uh, They're more concerned about uh, some different economic issues. So um, now, what's interesting is how will those perspectives shift? Will they shift as those as your millennials, Gen Z, uh, as they mature? Will those perspectives
1: change at all or will they uh, stay? noticeably different. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so the New York Times did a really awesome, just quick analysis in June uh, of 2023, uh, where they noted that the millennial generation is not an outlier. They too uh, are moving towards the right. Uh, and so I, I, I very, very much pointedly circled, uh, of course, my little uh, segment of the world. I was born in 1984. And so from 2000... 2000- <laughs> Good Lord. I'll I'll be 40 soon. Uh, So so from 2012 uh, to 2020, uh, we moved from uh, roughly 38% uh, over to almost 50% to the right. Like, it's terrifying. Uh, So voters who were 18 to 29 in 2008 backed Joe Biden by 55% to 43%, uh, half the margin of Obama's 12 years Mm -hmm. earlier. Uh, So again, we are starting to see, again, those elder, elder, not geriatric. Millennials were not immune. And so they go on. Nate Cohen writes this article uh, and it's largely because um, the the shift to the right for the older millennials is actually because of the shift in the issues, right? Uh, The issue base has changed, right? So the things that were really important to me as an elder millennial, uh, like uh, gay marriage, for example, that was a driving issue for Democrats uh, back in the early to mid-2000s. That brought people in. the, The war in Iraq, for example, those things have largely gone by the wayside or been resolved by the Supreme Court or policy, et cetera. Uh, and so you don't really have that same drive uh, in, in the older millennial population towards the Democrats uh, as you do for the younger ones. The younger ones are still very mired in uh, the politics of gun control and abortion specifically right now uh, and climate change, right? That's a huge issue uh, for the plurals or for Gen X. And so those, as long as those issues remain tangible— it It would seem that the younger uh, of the millennial generation and then Gen Z are likely going to be a problem for the Republicans in the future. So, And and that has been
0: one of the things that the Republicans have had to deal with is that their base is an aging base. Right. And uh, and while millennials may be moving slightly more conservative, Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably not going to make up for when the the boomer generation and even the 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 gen x which tends to be more conservative than than the other the ones after it when those start passing on the, the, you're not going to see as much of a shift to the right to make up for those, I don't think.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, the generations now stretch from 18 to 41, the millennial generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, that's a huge chunk of of the population specifically. Um, it's a bigger portion of the population than it was in 2016, 2020. And so this is going to be a much bigger problem for both parties specifically, but more so, I think, in terms of finding issues that are really attractive to those younger voters for the Republicans. But this is my question. You look at, just look at the
0: presidential election this Mm -hmm. year, right? Two white guys over the age of 75 running for president. If I'm 25 what do these people have in common with me? Are they talking about issues that I'm concerned about? Uh, and and why am I stuck with this choice? Yeah. Why is this where I'm at? Is that, because I don't know anybody who believes, regardless of your partisanship, regardless of what you think about Republicans and Democrats, I don't think there's a person in this world that thinks Joe Biden and Donald Trump are the two best, most qualified people to lead the premier country on the face of the earth.
1: Yeah, so, uh, another NPR report, uh, I love this. So they did a survey of roughly 15, about 1600 adults, 18 to 34, uh, and found that young people are optimistic about the future or their personal futures, uh, and about being more successful within their parents, which is interesting because I don't think the economics actually support that. We can get on a fight about that in a, in a later podcast. Um, but, uh, nearly a quarter of young people remain politically undecided between Biden, uh, and Trump, between, uh, Uh, An incumbent and a potential unnamed uh, Republican nominee. Uh, So nearly two-thirds of them, again, are more optimistic about getting a a good education, et cetera, uh, but are not optimistic about the future of their government and about it being representative. Uh, They expect it to be less representative than their parents, which is that's very interesting, right? Right, um, to to yeah, to have that kind of dichotomy where I personally feel good, right? Um, it, typically, you need to have a functioning government or a government that at, at least gives off some sort of air of legitimacy, right? Um, and that they're making policies that are in the best interest of the people is quite particularly economic policies. Um, So very interesting. Uh, Three out of five uh, of young people surveyed say that financial insecurity is a factor that is limiting their futures, even though they feel optimistic about it. Um, When asked to pick issues, which is where we were going next, uh, nearly a quarter of young Americans say that healthcare uh, is top of mind, problem for the Republicans, uh, followed by the economy. Uh, Again, if we're looking at MAGAnomics versus Bidenomics, just the numbers that may be a maybe something that is troublesome uh, for the Republicans as well. But definitely uh, housing affordability, both uh, at 24 uh, percent, young folks say, uh, are important to them. And then the three after that <laughs> are reproductive rights uh, at 23 percent, for sure a problem uh, for at least the older vanguard of Republicans, as we have seen them on the debate stage right now for talking just presidential politics. Uh, climate change, again, definitely a problem. Uh, and then gun violence, something that not a lot of the conservatives have really moved on um, in recent years. So uh, again, I think that, you know, the youth right now are set up in a way, at least part of the youth uh, is set up in a way that uh, is going to be difficult to kind of pull over, which is why you see organizations like Turning Point, who was just on our campus uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, trying to come out and really spread that conservative message. Very interesting stuff.
0: The uh, so here's here becomes the question, right? We've yeah. laid out all of this. Mm-hmm. It, you've got people in your government, in Congress, especially uh, who are much more aged yeah. than the people they're representing. Yeah. Uh, uh, w- are there any solutions to this? Yeah, vote. That's your only solution.
1: Recruit candidates and vote. (laughs) Yeah, recruit candidates. I mean, it starts at the very, very base level of grassroots politics. All politics is local. If you can't go out, if you don't have a neighbor, a friend, a pastor, a professor, you know, somebody who is— you believe is worthy of, of running and can make good policy for your neighborhood, then consider yourself. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, that's where the conversation needs to start. Why are our state parties, right? <laughs> Why are your state parties not doing a better job uh, of recruiting candidates? And I mean, again, it kind of, I mean, if we think that all politics is local uh, and should come from the grassroots level, then that enthusiasm for both Parties, political parties, I guess, three, technically, if we're talking libertarian in, in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma. Um, it should bubble up. Right. Mm-hmm. It should bubble up that enthusiasm from the ground up to the national politics. Right. Not top down, in in my opinion. And, you know, you mentioned uh, the
0: parties. What's interesting is the fastest growing voting uh, registration is actually independent, yes, right? Yes. Uh, that, Which that should terrify people, both of them. Uh, even in Oklahoma, yes. even though Republicans still remain dominant, dominant and all of that, uh, uh, independents tend to be uh, more registered, yes. new registrants tend to be independent yeah. than Republican or Democrat. Uh, and I think that also reflects kind of this dissatisfaction with, with what's going on. You said the
1: magic word yesterday. Um, Where's the realignment?
0: I don't want to rain on your parade. Oh, dear. But- I don't think you're ever going to get 18 to 25 year olds to vote at the level that 70 year olds do. I just don't think that's reasonable. Uh, And I think it's not because I think 18 to 25 year olds are somehow inferior, but I just don't think they have the kind of incentives incentives. that older, older folks are going to have. Right. Uh, And so uh, that age group, many of them are still living at home with their parents. They're still going to school. They haven't started their career. They haven't been fully confronted With this thing called government in a real way that they see tangibly, right? We know they're impacted, right? Going through education, we're seeing a whole bunch of controversy about education in Oklahoma right now. So you and I know this stuff is impacting them. They don't feel that quite to the extent that they will when they're 25, 30, and such. And so I want to throw out some structural changes. These are radical, I know, and you're going to say, well, if it's not realistic to get 18 to 25-year-olds, it's not going to be realistic to do this. You're right, but we should at least broach the subject, right? I have agreed for a long time that the House of Representatives especially is not representative of the population as a whole, right? Um, But it's the one— institution within our national government that is supposed to be it is supposed to be a mirror of all the wonderful beautiful and crazy and insane sanity that is in our population that's what the house should be is that right but it's not it is not no and as long as we're in the the framework that we're in it's never going to be right um so how do we get around that i'm going to give two suggestions okay all right i'm on the edge of my seat list one we need to enlarge the size of the House of Representatives okay. uh, and provide more opportunities for more voices. How do you uh, do that? that? Not
1: based on how, how do you change you the can, census? Congress can can raise, there's, there's nothing in the
0: Constitution yeah. that sets the level of members of the House. Okay. So Congress can, by law, okay. just say we're going to add X number of members. I knew you
1: knew the wonky right. answer. That's why oh. I asked.
0: And uh, the last time that you want to guess when the last time they did that was? Ooh, No after the 1910 census. So 1911, 1913 was when they set the number at 435. 435. My goodness. And think about how much our country has changed over that time, right? Uh, I think it's time to revisit that question uh, and say, look, we need a body that is more reflective of our population. I agree. Uh, The Senate was never designed to be that kind of representation. um, And, but it too... Use a little bit more diversity in it, right? Uh now the structure is it, it is set, right? You Mm -hmm. two senators per state. Uh, but the other suggestion I have term limits. Yeah. All right. Right. The term limits will produce turnover. Now, I don't recommend like the term limits like we have in Oklahoma, which I think are too tight. Tight, yeah. Uh, but if you could set 20-year term limits on those, I would be okay with that. Rotate some folks out, right? Um, I think you start getting more voices and yeah. you start getting more, but that allows that 20 year term limit allows for
1: um, institutional knowledge to be passed, passed on and generational turnover, That's right? right? right. Yeah, I th- and I think that's something that Mitt Romney is seeing, uh, you know, sorry to take it back to, <laughs> right. Or were you done with your suggestions? I, but no, I like those them are the two, Those back.
0: are the two that I think would make the most difference yeah. in changing Congress and making it more reflective of the people they're supposed yeah. to be representing. I
1: mean, obviously Congress is not representative if it took until 2021 for there to be more than two Native American representatives in the House. That's I mean, come and, on. And
0: we have to and and I'm not one who who's ever going to imagine that Congress will be perfectly mirror the demographics of the population. Right. But there's just so much that goes into running for Congress and who wants to go through that rigmarole, that kind of thing. Uh, but it can be more reflective, at least in what people actually want to see from their government. It I can agree. be more reflective in how people think the government should operate. These I kinds agree. of things, yeah.
1: And I will push back just a little bit on you. Uh, I do think that this generation, uh, not my generation, but the millennials. I, you, if you have been a listener for a while, uh, you know how I feel about the millennial generation. We have kind of. Seated a lot of our uh, political power uh, and been a little bit lazy and lackadaisical uh, in some cases, mm-hmm. I think. But the Gen Z, the plural generation, whatever you want to call these new kids, uh, I really feel like, you know, the uh, these kids are really with it. It's not showing the voter turnout, obviously, uh, but you're really seeing a lot of political participation in terms of demonstrations and marches and initiative petitions uh, and use of social media, right? The hashtag activism really cannot be eschewed uh, in in American politics these days. These kids are really adept uh, at getting their message out there. Whether or not uh, it, it gets elected uh, is a different story. So they're going to have to figure out how to turn that uh, political mobilization into an actual turnout into an actual, you know, vote. Yeah. Um, but these kids are pretty fired up. Yeah. And I think,
0: I will tell you, I think much of the conflict that we see through the generations, yes. through the parties, through all of this, re- yeah. evolves around a, a, a notion of a, a mistaken understanding of what, um, government is capable of doing yes, and what it should be right. doing. Um, yeah, I think there is uh, uh, sometimes we expect the government to do more than it can,. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and we need to evaluate that. And I, when I talk to my students, it's like, you know, a lot of times they say, well, the government should do this. and I would say, okay, well, let's let's explore this. Why is the government the best entity within society to yeah. do this, right? Then, which government? Because we exactly. don't just have one, yeah. right. right? So you might you might be right. The government should do this, but should it be the national government? Should it be the state government? Or should it be the local government? Yay, which, federalism. Is, which is better suited right. to address the particular issue that you're concerned about, right? We don't ever have those conversations. No, it's just the government, and we all presume that must mean the national government. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I think we need to all kind of step back and say, and we're never going to agree 100%, right? No. Some people are going to want the government to be more involved sure. in economics. Some are going to want to take it stronger steps on climate. Some are going to want to do other things. We're never going to completely agree. Yeah. But if we can all just take a step back and say, okay, let's look at this. Look, we're political scientists, so we mm-hmm. we think in these terms, right?
1: Right.
0: Why is government the best entity? Which level of government right. is most prepared and capable of doing this? Yeah which government is going to be more accountable for if they mess it up, right? Uh, We talk about this all the time. Your ability to get a hold of your city council person, your ability to get a hold of your state legislator is far greater than your ability to reach your member of the House or Senate at the national level, right? Uh, And so that accountability thing, I think, is really strong, too, uh, uh, of looking at who should be doing what. So, uh, but... In the meantime, Dr. Stacy is correct. The only way to fix this until they decide to expand the number in the house or until we get it would take a constitutional amendment to get term limits, right. till we get those is to vote. Yep. That's the only answer to get out and vote yep. to support candidates that you think are speaking on issues that you care about, uh and to uh, and if you can't find those candidates, yep. make yourself the
1: candidate. It's got to happen and you know I I try so hard, right, to light a fire under these kids and and help them to understand, because I don't care what they're partisan affiliation is. I care that they're part of their democracy, right? Because, I mean, as we've just discussed over the last 30 or so minutes, if these kids are not voting, if they are not out there actively participating in their democracy, then they are ceding their power to someone older than them who is more established than they are, who has more money than them, who uh, whose kids are likely older than they are. So they don't care about tuition or net neutrality or the climate, et cetera. Um, you know, nobody is going to do this for you but you one of my favorite gems of you know dr stacy is going to be on my gravestone i'm pretty sure is the burden of a democracy is on you right. right if you want an easy government go live in russia putin's going to tell you he won the election with 95 of the vote before you get off the couch and go to the polls right. right this takes work we if we it's a republic if you can keep it says benjamin franklin right.
0: i mean uh, democracy Cannot be a spectator sport. It is not. Right? It is citizenship. Good citizenship requires active participation right. by the citizenry. Right. And if if you're going to say, "Look, I'm I'm just not that interested," just understand that means you are as Dr. Stacy said, you're ceding power, yes. you're ceding decision-making authority to somebody else who may not agree with you on a whole host of things, who likely right? doesn't. Right. Right. Now, I do have one question. Let's Please. bring this back to the the presidential yeah. election of 2024. Sure. Right. Who are young voters, uh, where are they at? Are they they breaking hard for Biden? Are they not? Are they
1: splitting relatively? I'm really interested in that (sighs) question. So uh, again, going back to the NPR report, uh, 24%, just 24%, uh, say they definitely plan to vote for Biden. Uh, 20% say they likely support him. That is terrifying. A third of respondents say they are definitely or probably planning to vote uh, for the eventual nominee. So it's, I mean, it's pretty dead... Uh, interesting yeah right yeah. these kids are not excited at yeah. all uh they're you know, not persuaded that these folks are, are who they want right n- not at all no these kids are not excited uh about any either of these candidates and you know as we talked to uh, our students yesterday at the town hall uh i didn't see any one hand go up when we asked uh, you know if if trump and biden who look like they're going to be the two you know heir apparent nominees clearly um no one raised their hands. The Here's, uh, right. Uh, now, we talked about solutions for
0: this at c- congressional level. Sure. What about at the national, at, at the presidential level? Well, here we go again. Yeah. Uh, another radical proposal. Let third party candidates in on the presidential debates. Okay. Don't, when uh, Biden and Trump have their debates, yeah. Let the Green Party candidate, whoever that is, up there. Let the Libertarian Party candidate, whoever that is, up there. Uh, And I think the burden, if you want a criteria that says we're only going to let certain candidates on the stage, make that criteria be, is that candidate on the ballot in all 50 states? If they're on the ballot in all 50 states, they should be on the debate I'm okay with that. Uh, and, and that's still going to weed out a lot of, of of minor party candidates who simply aren't going to be on all fifty state ballots. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, and uh, and if you're concerned that the candidate you like that's from a minor party isn't going to be is going to meet that, you need to get them on your state ballot. Yeah, right. Get get them up there. And that's a de- unfortunately in many states that's a tedious process. It is. Oklahoma's was reduced but it's still not easy right, right? there's reason we only have one third yeah, party
1: on the ballot right. uh, in, in the state yeah in terms of Gen Zers, uh, the survey, uh, 30% say they aligned with Democrats compared to 24% uh, with Republicans, leaving 28% uh, open for independence. That's probably, I think, probably 30% is a little high uh, for Democrats. It's right. The survey was still about not 1,600. It's not. Them, right? No, it's yeah. absolutely not. Uh, so, again, that that pool of independents, it's becoming really important for us to hear more than just two voices. I, I completely agree with you. I am on... Uh, the side of third and multi-parties don't make me get on a proportional representation <laughs> soapbox, you know I will. There, is, um, there would be another place we would actually agree, right? But, on, on oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, yeah. the only third-party candidate right now is Cornell West, who is, uh, you know, was backed by Bernie Sanders back in the day, right? Sanders was a supporter. I'm not quite sure where he stands right now. Um, but Cornell West is having a lot of issues in the press lately with uh, tax problems, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, not a I, he's a wonderful academic right african-american scholar uh read read his works my friends uh but in terms of a viable third-party candidate he is certainly well, and not that, that is the
0: the thing right is yeah. what how do we determine viability right. right um and and so much of that if you're talking about running for congress or running for u.s senate or even for your state legislature viability mainly means can I put the resources together to be competitive exactly right Right. uh and that's just real struggle for anybody who's not a republican or democrat because you don't have that institutional support that you're going to have if you're with the major parties right Right. Uh, at the presidential level I think viability does rely on resources as well um but I just think Make that debate commission change the yeah. criteria to being from getting a certain percentage of a number in the polls, mm-hmm. which seems built in advantage for Republicans and Democrats, because if oh, you yeah. don't know about yeah. them, how yes. can you say you're for them? Right. right. Uh, instead of making that the criteria, make it. Can they get on all 50 state ballots?
1: Yeah. Why, why can't the fourth estate just allow us to have more voices? That's right. That's right. right. I'm going to feed into your media nonsense <laughs> today. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. We have so much more diversity in our country in terms of the policy issues that you you we are, again, choosing the, the lesser of two evils, unfortunately. And, and,
0: and the reality is, have to be again, that way. if you go back and look at survey data, we're not as divided on a bunch of issues no. as our politics no. makes us believe Absolutely. we are, right? We are heavily divided in that Republicans and Democrats increasingly dislike each other. Yes. They don't like the each other The polarization, absolutely. Right? But, but if you start talking issues, there's a lot more agreement amongst the public. Uh, and uh, somehow we've got to push through that right. and, and talk about that agreement and yeah. less about oh, you're a Republican, I can't talk to you, or you're a Democrat, I don't want to have anything to do with but you. But again, I think the media
1: environment absolutely feeds into that polarization, right? It it It's advantageous for the media, for the two political parties, to continue this vicious cycle of, yes. oh, I don't like you, I don't like your policy, we're not going to move on to anything, right? Your Congress doesn't do much. It's interesting. Um, uh, Bill
0: Bennett, who was a member of the uh, Reagan and then the uh, George H.W. Bush uh, administrations mm-hmm. wrote a book during the President Clinton scandal, the uh-huh. Lewinsky scandal. Small little book called The Death of Outrage. And uh-huh. he was very upset that nobody was concerned about all of these things going on. Now we're living in the politics of outrage, right. and all of our institutions are driving us to be mad at each other, right? right? It's not just the media and, and or social media, but Interest groups do the same thing. The political parties do the same thing. As you mentioned, the media, uh, all of these major institutions are driving wedges between us, uh, and, and clouding the fact that there's much more agreement on a lot of these issues, uh, than, than we think. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I wish I knew how to change that. Uh, but, uh, but it is the fact that tribalism that's, that's,
1: is fun. Yeah. Right. It, Isn't well, it? It
0: gives us a sense of a belonging. Yeah. Right? Purpose, identity. Yeah. Purpose, absolutely, Exactly right. Uh, and
1: so it's, and it is a, 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 a human tendency that is hard to overcome. It is. And it's a. I it, I would argue it's kind of a, a uniquely kind of American thing, right? We're very tribal about our football teams oh, or, sure, you right? know, our,
0: and, and I think that's part of the problem is we treat our politics like we treat our sports, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Uh, and everything's about a competition and who's winning and who's losing, Definitely. right? Well, the goal of politics ought to be that we all win, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know? Yes. Uh, but it's not in, in today's environment, right? If one team wins, we automatically feel we're losing, right. Uh Trump made this, you know, said, we're going to be winners. We're going to win so much we won't be able to stand the winning. Right. You know, and yes. and I'm like, what does that mean? But <laughs> tangibly, yeah. exactly. Right. But that's how we we view politics yep. today. And it's 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 troubling it if you want to change it. Go back to what Dr. Stacey said. Get involved. Right, get involved. If you don't feel like you can uh, run for office yourself, find somebody who can. Join an interest group that speaks to your issues, uh, and try to hold them accountable. Don't let them to make uh, drive divisions, but to drive people to agreement. Right, these kinds of things. You've got to be involved if you want to change this. That's the real. Uh, That's the best way of yeah. accomplishing this. And have those right? hard
1: conversations, right? Yes. mean, you can I, you can agree. I I promise you can find compromise, right? If you know Davenport and I can sit here as you know. A sp- perhaps liberal millennial and a perhaps libertarian uh, Gen Xer uh, and find agreement on most things, we can find you a would lot of be agreement. surprised right. uh, what you can do out there. If you just talk to people about what they care right. about
0: and, and put down your preconceptions, exactly. you know, just, just let people talk and listen. And then, and and as you're listening, don't listen to try, Oh, I'm going to counter that point. I'm going to counter. Exactly. Listen to what they're saying and find out what's important to them And then you can communicate in a way that effectively finds those bridges. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. I think we've, we've covered this to the extent we can today. Absolutely. We will be back. No doubt. There's never going to be a shortage of things to talk about. That's for sure. Uh, and we've got more stuff going on. We'll be talking about stuff happening in Oklahoma. Wow. We'll be talking about stuff nationally. Uh, we'll even be talking about international stuff. Uh, Probably bringing some uh, friends. The president of Ukraine was in, yes. in the country uh, this week. The UN right, Assembly, last week. Uh, General Assembly, yes. Uh, and so uh, lots going on in the world. Tons. And you need to know about it and you need to take action on it. Yeah, absolutely. Be involved. This right. is what it's about. Fantastic. I'm James Davenport. This has been Dr. Emily Stacy. We are so glad to be back and we will see you next time on Not My Generation. And if you want to reach out to us and propose topics to be discussed, make comments, suggestions, how can they reach us?
1: <laughs> at notmygeneration at raider.rose.edu. We'll see you next time. Bye. Of communication that goes both ways not just you listening to us pontificate we would love to hear from our audience if you have comments suggestions or would like to contact us about possibly being a guest on the show please email notmygeneration at raider.rose.edu